Welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today we're joined by Bengtesh Sharma, PhD, who's Senior Director of Technology Solutions at Vera. How are you doing today, Bengtesh? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Fantastic. So we're here to talk about Vera. We're here to talk about your background, Bengtesh. We're talking about climate change and how technology can be used to address uh, some of these problems. Perhaps to kick off with Bengtesh, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into technology. Sure. I'm Bengtesh Sharma. I come from mountainous, beautiful country in Nepal, and currently I'm living in Richmond in Virginia. My technology journey starts with computer science in high school and then moving on to GIS and forestry. Uh, I did a land cover assessment and habitat mapping using computer technologies. Then I came to U.S. for my Ph.D. in forest science and biology, where I did a modeling of uh, emissions. And it was more of a forest carbon modeling and energies carbon modeling and so on. I did a master's in computer science from Georgia Institute of Technology because of my interest in computing. I worked at University of California, Berkeley, Sony, doing all these computing works, mostly geared towards MRP, remote sensing, AI deployment, and media analytics. Currently, I am working at Vera as a IT leader, making enterprise softwares and system integrations that are going to help us with the fight against the climate change using these technologies. Before we talk a little bit more about Vera, uh, could you tell us about maybe some of the historic technology problems or challenges that you've encountered? Sure. If we talk about historic problems, I mean, when I was in the computer world, computer was not uh, as abundant. So we have very limited resources to do computing. And then we have to make schedules. Okay, who is going to work from this time to that time? We have to do reservations. I even remember going to some corporations uh, where I had some contact just to get a feel of computers. So technology is costly and it is costly as well, but it's just that our availability is higher, but uh, this is still expensive in some part of the world. Having a laptop is still a luxury, but uh, in developed countries, laptop is basic needs. So one part is availability of technology. Now we may have a technology in place, but not the technology that is at the current stage. For example, we talk about 4G, 5G, 3G technologies. Um, there are areas in the world who are still relying on 2G network, and we are discussing about 5G network in some countries. So. Keeping pace with the available technology is a big challenge in this world, which is really important for technologists to stay updated. And that is what I have been experiencing over my time. And then another technology challenge that I have noticed is it doesn't pay by itself. You can make a brilliant software, but if users don't like it, then the technology is not doing much there. And uh, providing early preview of what's coming up, get users on board that way we can get the full power that the technology could offer to solve our problems. A brilliant idea remains a brilliant idea or a worse solution when we lack talent. And so solutions must be designed in a way that we can actually implement those designs. That requires talent pools and skill sets we have. So in my experience, I have also experienced like the brilliant ideas and designs, but not skill set or availability of resources we were not able to deliver the software that we designed. And then another technology challenge that I have noticed is software is merely a model of reality. Um, 
there was a time when software would derive the user's behavior. I create something, user will learn that something and then make use of it. But these days, things have changed. So it's mostly the user side. So what we do with the technology is reflection of what we do in real life. And there is a misalignment between what is happening in the real life and what the software is doing. Then that software is not going to be successful or technology for that matter. So in that case, the major challenge that I have encountered is our behavior is constantly changing. So there is nothing static but change. And if the software solutions do not change with the user's behavior and expectations, that solution will be discarded or simply not put to use. And our ability to keep up with the societal needs and reflecting those changes in the technology is challenging because of cost, resources, timing, because software is evolving. And keeping up with that is a, you know, a separate arm. So we need to have to be able to deliver what the society needs. And um, a solution to these kind of problems is we should not be designing a software thinking like this would be a perfect solution. To my experience, there is no perfect solutions. It's mostly incrementally improved with the continuous feedback. That's what I learned. For example, we might see, okay, um, we need a transparency in one of the things that we do, then tackling that with a technology directly without looking at what is the current reality and what is the expected reality. If we don't have that understanding, the technology cannot solve those problems. Venkatesh, I'd love to talk with you a little bit about your current company, Vera. It would be great if you could share a little bit in terms of what the company does and your role in the organization. So Vera, it was previously known as DCS, you know, evolved over time. We were considered called voluntary carbon standards, and then we were verified carbon standards. Now we have Vera. So what Vera does in short is it creates standards and methodologies to account for global greenhouse gas emission reductions activities. And then VERA catalyzes the measurable climate actions and sustainable development outcomes by driving large-scale investment to activities that would reduce emissions, improve livelihoods, and protect nature. So to do that, VERA develops standards and programs and manages the globally applicable sectors and activities that could reduce the emissions, benefiting the climate. And Vera does this by offering standards, independent assessments, and accounting methodologies, and we also maintain registry. So standards are the core rules and requirements that must be met for any project. And depending on the circumstances, our standards may set out higher level requirements or for complex endeavors include more details, rules, and procedures. There are multiple standards that Vera offers. And then all of the projects and programs must meet these standards. Uh, we confirm that by including independent assessments. So these are certified validators and verifiers. And we provide support and oversight to establish accreditation programs to ensure cost effectiveness and quality. And uh, after we have these standards, we do have methodologies. And these methodologies allow for the determination of a baseline. What would have happened in the absence of project, for example? and set out parameters for measuring, counting, and monitoring the impacts. And all these details are stored in our registry, which is 
a warehouse for all the projects and how the projects were reviewed and monitored. And eventually, this registry also holds a unit called VTU, which is something like emission reduction credits that is tradable. And that is the final component of the typical standard framework are those VCUs or credit units. And registries provide in a transparent fashion as services to account holders who owns the credits. And then we provide this documentation to the public in our registries. That's very interesting. And Venkatesh, could you tell us a little bit about what you do personally and also what strategy is supporting those goals that Vera has? So at Vera, I am Senior Director of Technology Solutions and I oversee overall technology strategy for the organization. And in this role, I support both internal and external processes. So if registry account holders need some more features in our registry, I oversee the implementation of those. If there are new evolving ideas, innovative ideas, certain technologies, say IoT devices, and then I provide uh, guidance on how we can implement those. And likewise, we are currently working on digitalizing our solutions. Currently, these are mostly manual and we are providing these services so that uh, our work is error-free and integral. So in a way, I am the technical person to facilitate use of innovative technologies in climate change space. Venkatesh, I'd love to take a little detour and talk a little bit about carbon cycles and perhaps you could explain for our listeners what a carbon cycle is. Um, carbon cycle is a process by which carbon in Earth's surface moves to atmosphere and somehow the atmospheric carbon comes down to Earth. That is all the science is about. To illustrate more, our petroleums or gas, they are down on the earth in reserves. When we use gasoline or petroleum products for energy generations, whether it's in electricity or simply cars or any other power, um, these gas burn and they emit carbon dioxide. That will go into the atmosphere. And uh, when we have trees, trees absorb carbon dioxide from atmosphere and atmospheric carbon is absorbed. We call that sequestration. So these forests will sequester a lot of amount of carbon and will bring the carbon from atmosphere back to the earth. And this is how the cycle is operating. At the same time, in the oceans, you have these animals or these cell fish and all these large mammals or even smaller animals. They do have carbon. like uh, So ocean sea grasses or seaweeds also absorb carbon. And then they recycle sometimes inside, but when we pull them out, it will go back to the atmosphere. So that is basically the carbon cycle. Now, how this carbon cycle affects this global climate change and what we do in Vera, I can give you an example with one of the activities. So we can tackle sequestering carbon into Earth from atmosphere two ways. One, we can avoid the emission from the land. Other, we can increase the reduction of atmosphere. So avoiding means, let's say we have large areas of forest in some land, and if we are not cautious, and if we don't do any project or human interventions, it is possible that these forests are clear. As soon as forests are clear, the biomass will be burned, and the carbon will emit in the atmosphere. That is the baseline. Now, if we incentivize the owner of this forest so that they keep the forest, then the forest will continue accumulating the atmosphere. 
So this is how we are avoiding the emission of carbon into the atmosphere. Now, another approach is a reduction of carbon from the atmosphere. For example, you may have some barren land which only has grass. Grass do sequester carbon, but grass dies within a year or two. The entire carbon will emit back to the atmosphere. But if we can run an afforestation activities by planting trees, under normal circumstances, there is no sequestration because trees will start accumulating carbon. So we are reducing carbon from the atmosphere in this way. And these are the nature-based interventions. There are other things like industrial-based um, approaches where we call it um, carbon capture and sequestration, which is like a very endeavors. What it does is it sucks up carbon from the atmosphere and pushes that carbon into the Earth's surface, mostly in the areas that were previously mined and so on. So this is how we tackle the climate change by using ideas for reducing and avoiding. Bangtesh, could I ask you whether the kind of more nature-based solutions or a human intervention in terms of uh, carbon capture and storage, do you see a difference? Do you think one is better than the other? Does it depend on the situation? What's your, your feeling about all of this? Yeah, CCS has been in you know, research for a couple of decades now. There is one or two final projects that are implemented. It is still at the you know, research and implementation phase. The CCS are very expensive, but at the same time, they shock up a lot of carbon at a smaller time period, but they are very expensive. So nature-based are cheaper, easier to implement. There is no industrial risk of any nature. So CCS do have some risk, but um, I don't want to go into technical details. But CCS can have huge potential in emission reductions at very high amount of carbon in a shorter period of time. Your organization is called Vera, which I believe is connected to the, the Latin word for truth. Uh, so I guess as an organization, you're looking to verify, to validate, to provide trust in a sector that's looking to solve the biggest problem we're going to face in our lifetimes. What are the challenges around building trust in this whole sector? What are, what are some of the things that technology can solve in that way? Correct. Um, Vera has been in the forefront of innovative work in terms of how we reduce carbon from the atmosphere. And uh, our approach has been openness to the world about what we do. And uh, we take stakeholders' comments very seriously. And then in terms of building trust, whatever we do, we have a stakeholders' uh, participation. For an example, we are looking at DMRB platforms, which is digital monitoring, reporting, and verifying. We are embarking on this journey where we want to digitalize the MRB process. In that case, we call and we are discussing with all these stakeholders. Stakeholders are the people who develop the project and people who are validators, investors, lobbyists. They all can participate in building a program that will work for all. And uh, same thing with the data. So we are providing access to our systems via APIs so that they can see how things are. So trust building is really about credibility and integrity, and Vera takes those very seriously. We are working on improving our systems and our processes so that it is more palatable to all. Very good. We had the, the COP26 at the end of 2021. Um, 
Were there any impacts on Vera as a business stemming from a conference? Any of the decisions change your focus? So COP26 confirms the role of voluntary carbon markets, especially to channel finance, technology, and capacity to climate mitigation activities. In this perspective, our role did not change significantly, and VCM don't have to be entered into the national inventory. However, a country can apply those corresponding adjustments to their VERs for the projects done under VCM, for example, VERA. So that means Article 6 doesn't really regulate the voluntary market, but its adopted rules for Article 6 are essential in marking the boundaries of government-led carbon markets. So in that connection, we do see a higher possibility of these carbon markets because Vera has been leading the carbon markets in the voluntary space. These government entities could come together and we might be assisting them in those technology transfers and so on. And then, you know, there are new rules based on baseline additionality and creating periods in the context of those uh, rules. And we are still studying how we need to address those by updating the programs and the standards if necessary. Bangladesh, could you explain for us a little bit how the carbon credit markets work today and how they might change in the future? So the way it works is you start with a project. So there are entities who invest in the projects. For example, we are trying to build wind farm or solar farm in developing countries or forestry management projects. So there are registries which list all the projects. And then when the projects are registered, there are usually processes for validation of the project and uh, verification. But these project proponents claim that they have reduced so much of an emission. And they usually do that using accepted protocol by standards. So if projects are registered under VERA's standard, we do have a list of methodologies that are applicable. But stakeholders write the methodology themselves, and it goes through the same process. And these methodologies are allowed to generate a project and emission reductions. And then validation and verification body validates the project. Then every monitoring period, they claim emission reduction credits, and then that claim is registered in our registry, and registry issues credit for certificates for carbon unit that are sold or retired. So selling means it just transfers the ownership from one person entity to another. Um, that's how the carbon market works today. Bangladesh, will greater efficiency in this whole area have some impact on the, the price of carbon credits in the voluntary market? That is hard to say because currently what we see is we have less demand and more supply. So that is really a function of demand and supply since there is more demand and less supply, I don't see price changing as much from that perspective. With these technologies, supply side would be happy because they get the credits for offsetting faster. And uh, in the near future, we will be seeing more demand than supply. So I don't see a price decreasing, but I would expect it will increase. Bangladesh, I'd love to speak as well about some of the technological challenges that remain to be addressed or solved in this space. Would you be able to talk us through some of these? So Vera has been growing dramatically in the last two years or so. And this is reflecting the fact that there is a huge interest in voluntary card market space. And our processes that we had built um, 
needs to be enhanced. So we want more automation so we can efficiently process the requests and uh, verifications, validations, and same with the data. So we want to deliver the project faster. And to do that, we have to enhance our infrastructures, our processes. And MRV is a process by which we monitor, report, and verify a project. If the project is done or project has been using DMRV that has been verified or certified, uh, we will know that this data that comes are good or bad. And so that automation will help us move processes faster. So we are talking about uh, between one to four years of time to trimming down weeks or even days. So with this automation and integration, we hope to achieve efficiency in our internal process. We optimize these digital tools so we have less redundancy. And our goal is to make these digital tools interoperable. And by allowing project proponents or stakeholders to participate, we are creating more transparency. With these tools, what we achieve is we decrease the cost, we ensure integrity, and we optimize our processes so to make things faster. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. We had production, as always, by Adnan Tuchar with support from Albena Kresteva and Evan Sheehan. Catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.